Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are a woman that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you come to the right place. There are no hard and fast rules and you don't have to call yourself anything. You're just a woman that knows something isn't working for her and you are wanting to make an intentional change. I'm Rachel Pritz and I'll walk alongside you as you learn to drink less and live more. Let's go. Welcome back to Drink Less, Live More. This week we're going to talk about, and I'm using air quotes, and I understand this is a podcast so you can't see them, but surviving the holidays. We are coming into, for many of us, the busiest time of year, and there's lots of extra activities and things going on. It can be really, really easy to overdrink in many of these scenarios, and there's a lot more opportunity for drinking in these scenarios typically. And so it can really be a tough time for somebody that's looking to cut back or to quit drinking or even for somebody that's just knows, you know, I need to do something about this, but I'm going to get through the holidays and then, then I'll do something about this. Cause we like to do that to ourselves. You know, if I do this, then I'll be able to, you know, uh, really focus in on this and be able to do it. So before we jump into surviving the holidays, I do just want to make sure that everybody knows my drink less, live more program is always open. You can choose to join that at any time. It's a 90 day program that is honestly, I've been calling it a healing journey. Each week there is video content. There are worksheets, um, that you can dive into an aspect of healing yourself. So we don't need to run to alcohol to get away from the life that we've created. And so, you know, all those things were taken from my own playbook of how I was able to get to where I am today, but just also, in general, healing myself from a pretty significant, uh, uh, burnout, you know? And so I had to learn how to, to kind of heal these things that were no longer working for me anymore and to set some boundaries and to question all my perfectionistic tendencies and all the things in order to be successful with this journey, with creating just a healthier relationship with alcohol. And I do want to remind you that I don't have any rules in my program. I don't tell people you can't drink. Uh, That is for you to say. You know, I really think that we need to take at least a short break from alcohol. When I say short, minimum 14 days, probably longer. I took, I started with a 30-day break. That was sort of what I had planned. And then I didn't know what was on the other side of that. And with that break, I was really able to gain some clarity. I got all the booze out of my system because it does stick around for a long time. And so it messes with your brain chemistry. It messes with your body chemistry for a long time. So we do need to kind of get ourselves clear of that. So I do highly suggest that. If the 90-day program, if you're like, I don't know, Rachel, I'm not sure I'm there. I want to see if I can just go two weeks without drinking. I do have a 14-day program that is the booze our our break from booze, which is only 14 days. And that is um, daily content that you get. That's just audio. So you can like listen to it whenever you feel like it out on a quick walk on the way to work, whatever that looks like. Um, And you can just get a little bit of inspiration and some information on how to be successful through a break from alcohol and then what, how to decide what's next. So those are two opportunities. I am really wanting to do a group in January So opening up to anybody that has, you know, been, um, 
you know, subscribed to any of those programs, has subscribed to my newsletter, those types of things. I will put the link to subscribing to my weekly newsletter in the show notes as well. If that is of interest for anyone, I'd like to open up that group to a larger amount of people for free for people just to come in and support one another through this journey. So look for that to come as we get closer to January for sure. But let's jump back into surviving the holidays. You know, actually, I'm recording this on Halloween. And it just dawned on me how different Halloween is for me as a mom versus how it was for my mom. So, you know, for for my mom, she would have just said, like, find a costume. We're not buying one. We can't afford it. Uh, Figure it out. Sometimes she, like, when we were younger, she made costumes. But as she, you know, got busy or going back to work and stuff, that wasn't possible for her, which I totally get. Um, and so we, you know, would come up with our own costumes. One time I wrapped myself in toilet paper and I was a mummy and I actually won the little contest in my town, but we just took ourselves trick-or-treating. It was one day, there weren't a bazillion classroom activities. There weren't fall festivals. There weren't all these things. And then fast forward to my experience as a mother and it's like the whole damn month, like the entire month of October is dedicated to Halloween and there are parties and treats that need to be sent in and all the things. And then you better, you know, get a perfect costume for your kids and trick or treat and, you know, do, do all those things as well and have a great looking front porch. Like my goodness, what would happen if we didn't have all the mums and the beautiful fall front porch and we didn't go to the pumpkin patches and we didn't do the pumpkins and carve them and do cookies that are shaped as, you know, pumpkins and, you know, all of these things. Gosh, it's so intense. And it's hard to sometimes pause and cut off from that and say, I don't, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't actually add value to me or my family because it's so easy to see everywhere we go, you know, and on social media and pictures and all the things, you know, it's really easy to get into that. This is what we're supposed to be doing type of mentality. And this is what our society says is, is good parenting. And I call bullshit on all of it. So I've been doing that for a while and I don't operate the way that many, many, many parents do. And I'm just, I'm comfortable with it. So I've, I've really been able to just settle into that. Um, sometimes I can get back into the comparison deal and then I pull myself back out of it. Cause I'm like, no, what are you doing? Stop it. It's like, I just, my essential self just has to slap my social self across the face a couple of times. And then I'm like, yeah, you're right. What am I thinking? So, you know, I, I've recorded an episode around the social and essential self, but I actually think that's really critical in this journey. It's a big part of what I talk about in my program. But to give you a really quick high level, and this is Martha Beck's terminology, this is how she taught us through coach training, your social self is the version of you that has been socialized to believe that you should be a certain way. So there's lots of shoulds going on there. Um, It's pretty rigid. It's not very playful. There's not a lot of flexibility in your social self. It's like, here's the hard and fast rules, the end. Your essential self is who you really are, who you were really born to be. And it's void of ego, void of all of the social traps that we get stuck in. Uh, Most of us don't live in that space at all anymore. That's why we feel like shit, to be honest. When I first discovered, you know, my own like, hey, it's not normal to drive into work and want to get in a car accident. And I reached out to a coach. I quickly recognized how I was operating completely out of my social self and my essential self was gone. And that was the problem. So I like to work with clients you know, guiding them towards more of their essential self. I think some of the ways we've been socialized, if we want to quote unquote fit in, 
in our society, we're going to have to probably have a few of those things and that's okay. Um, you know, Martha Beck says, no, like do everything your essential self says. She's kind of like, forget this, all the culture stuff. She pushes against all sorts of, of cultures, which is admirable. I, I don't, uh, don't discount that for sure. Cause it's hard. Um, but I would say I live in more of a like 75% essential self, 25% social self balance. And that works for me. So figure out, you know, what that looks like for you. Um, but there's a lot there for sure to think about what that, that social version of yourself is and what that essential version of yourself is. The essential version is very loose, playful, has tons of energy. So if it's not bringing you energy, it's probably not your essential self talking for sure. So anyway, you know, we went through, uh, Halloween and the month of October and they were all the things they were moving into November. And, you know, for the first few weeks, it's usually pretty calm. There's not tons of stuff going on. And then we start getting into, okay, Thanksgiving. And then I'll start getting all the texts. Actually, I've already gotten all the texts from family members and people that want to know what the kids want. And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you ask the kids what they want? I like, I don't even know what to buy them. So, you know, we start getting into all that stuff, which for some reason that one's always a trigger for me because I really want to text back and say, how about you get to know the kids enough to know what they want, <laughs> which is really kind of a shitty thing to say. Cause I know that everybody has their lives and they're busy and that's not really always uh, something that they can do even geographically to have that relationship with them. But that's sort of my initial reaction to that. When do the kids want for this? I don't know. Get to know them and then you will know. Um, and usually I do know what they want. It's just like, that's just another thing I have to do. So it's, that one's always a trigger for me for some reason. So we'll get into that, you know, like this year I'm going to host Thanksgiving, but it's going to be a smaller group. So I did set some boundaries there. You know, we were talking about family and, you know, my husband's like, like we're having my family over this year. We had his family over last year and we kept it pretty small. And I'm like, well, I guess we could invite your parents. And then we were both like, you know what? No, like, feel like that dynamic is kind of weird and it's just better if we just keep them separate you know, let's set a boundary there. We don't have to just invite everybody because they're family. So that is really helpful for sure. Oftentimes, um, if I would have, you know, pre 2020 hosted Thanksgiving, I would have started drinking wine pretty early on in the day. Um, I would have kept it all together. Like I would have made the whole meal. It would have been great. No problem. I wouldn't have been drunk. I would have just started drinking early Sometimes with my mom, if my mom was in town or, you know, whatever that is. And so like you're cooking and it just feels like a classy thing to do. Um, and then the family dynamic would start to happen and, you know, like, gosh, somebody says something and you're just like, oh, and like nowadays with like politics and COVID and all the things that people have to complain about and <laughs> argue about, it's like some people just like to throw those things out there. It's like just to stir the pot and that just makes my nervous system just like ugh, go, you know, crazy. I can't like, I'm an Enneagram nine who likes peace and does not like when people are in conflict. And so like that just, it makes, it makes my whole body just twitch. So, you know, uh, I would drink more wine then while those conversations were going on, then they would leave and I would feel like, oh my gosh, I can finally get a breather. And then I would drink more wine. So, you know, like I never ended up blackout drunk with any of these circumstances. It was more just like, I definitely drank more wine than I wanted to. And I would feel that in the morning. I wasn't like laying in bed all day hungover, but I could certainly tell that I drank wine all day long. Like, hello, of course. So 
uh, November 1st of 2020 is when I decided to take my first, um, you know, really extended break from alcohol. I'd never really done a break from alcohol before. I made fun of the people that did a break from alcohol. Honestly, I was like, what are they thinking? Especially that time of year. Like what are people would be doing dry January? And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to do a soaking wet January. (laughs) I don't even know what they're talking about. So So, you know, that was the first time I decided to not drink and it was a little bit unique. I had not really discovered alcohol-free wines yet. And so it was like, wow, I don't have wine at Thanksgiving. And it was really small Thanksgiving because of COVID and, you know, that was helpful. So it wasn't quite the same, but yeah, I had no wine at Thanksgiving and it just seemed kind of weird. Like I was like, huh, like it just sort of felt like it was part of the ritual, you know? So then last year I had alcohol-free wine. And so my, my whole husband's side of the family doesn't drink. And so I still kind of wanted it. So I still had it out and like had it. And I think one person asked me about it and I was like, oh, it's alcohol-free. And they're like, oh, well, can I try it then? You know? And so it was kind of a fun, fun thing to do and introduce them to the idea that there is alcohol-free options out there. So that felt better. That felt more like, oh, this feels not as weird to me because it felt like I still got to have a lot of the ritual. Um, oh, and I drank while I cooked too, drank not alcohol-free. So um, that still felt like I got that kind of ritual thing going on. And in a pretty glass, I'm like a big proponent of pretty glasses. And like really, I don't know, I think it's just being kind of bougie and celebrating ourselves, you know? <laughs> so so that's the part of, of alcohol that I missed. So, you know, I did that and then we moved into Christmas and I was like, gosh, I feel so much calmer, so much more patient with my kids. I think I just want to keep this thing going. So I did, and, you know, we had dinner over at my brother and sister-in-law's. They always have good red wine, but I had actually been coming off of a COVID um, recovery, so I had COVID and lost all of my taste and smell, and red wine, the taste of it was horrible to me. So still to this day, most red wines taste horrible to me, and I used to be a big-time red drinker, so it's really interesting to me. I'm like, maybe... God or the universe or whatever you want to call it. Um, kind of was like, Hey, we got to shut this one off for her. (laughs) She, we can't let her like this one anymore. Um, so, you know, they were, they had some wine. I had a couple of sips of red wine and it tasted terrible and that was it. And I woke up completely hangover free and it was the most delightful Christmas season with my kids. I don't know, like if it was, completely related to the alcohol. I think it really was, you know, I didn't have this like anxiety where I woke up and thought, Oh my gosh, what if they don't like what they got? What if they don't have a magical Christmas? Like we're responsible for everyone else's magical holidays. It's like, really? So I think it just, it eased the anxiety and allowed me to be more present. And I wasn't thinking about when am I going to have a drink today? Or, you know, when's the first opportunity for that? Like that wasn't even a thing. So it was really nice. And then I went through, um, uh, you know, January 1st and, you know, we don't really do a ton anymore for new year's, but you know, we went through all of that. I had uh, fake champagne for my little toast at midnight and then I went to bed. It's great. So, you know, and then I was, it was like, gosh, I survived these holidays without alcohol. Wait a minute. Was I ever really was alcohol ever allowing me to survive anything? Like, I think alcohol was the reason why I had to use the word survive the holidays. It was actually so much more pleasant without alcohol. 
And so I think that's one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that this will help us survive not just the holidays, but life. And it is the hugest lie. But if we never take a break and we never ask ourselves what's really true for us, we can't discover that. I'd been a drinker my entire life outside of pregnancy. So how on earth would I have known that this was actually getting in the way of my survival? And it was certainly getting in the way of my thriving. So like we think of survive to thrive. I talk about that a lot. I didn't want to survive anymore. I wanted to thrive. There is no freaking way that you can get to thriving and to stay there for a long period of time when you are overusing alcohol. I wholeheartedly believe that there's no way to do it. So question these these thought patterns, questions the way the way that you've been socialized to believe that this is true. This is not true. And I want you to test it for yourself because you won't believe it until you see it right in front of your own eyes. But once you do, you can't unsee it. You can't unknow it. And I'm so excited to be coming into a holiday season where I've got a couple of these under my belt now. I know what this is like. I know that I can do this quite easily. In fact, I prefer it this way. So just keep that in mind too. Like the first one will be hard. The first one of everything's always hard. And then after you start to learn and evolve, then you're actually going to love it on the other side of it. And I'll still have a few drinks this holiday season. You know, I've kind of learned what mindful drinking looks like for me. If I'm super stressed and thinking about, oh my gosh, I got to get these gifts and I got to do this. I'm like, no, I'm not going to have a drink then. That's not the time to have a drink. But you know, if we're just enjoying the holidays with family and somebody has a nice bottle of wine, I'll have a little bit of wine or I'll make a cocktail or my husband makes the cocktails. I don't make cocktails. But you know, I'll do something like that and that feels completely fine to me now. And it feels like I don't have to be so outside of the group when everyone else is drinking, which I know is still a problem for me. I get it. I talk about it all the time. But this I this need to like fit in. But it's a human need to feel like we belong. And sometimes alcohol is the connection point, you know? So has there been many times where I haven't drank alcohol and I made a mocktail and you know, made something else that people didn't even know I wasn't drinking? Of course. But sometimes I do just want one drink and that's it. So keep that in mind that you can get to that place too if it's right for you. You may decide you never want to touch alcohol again and that's perfectly fine too. So I want you to shift into thinking about how I'm going to thrive through the holidays instead of just survive the holidays because it's really an amazing experience and it brings back the magic of the holidays like we used to have when we were kids, you know, the holidays used to be so magical and now it's like stress and awfulness and terrible family members we have to deal with. And it really doesn't have to be that way. So we really can thrive through this season. That's up to us, right? So we get to have the power there. So have a great week. We'll be back next week, uh, helping you learn to thrive through this holiday season. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded of new episodes. This is not intended to be medical advice. This is for gray area drinkers that are wanting to evaluate their relationship with alcohol and cut back or quit altogether. If alcohol isn't ruining your life, but it's certainly not making it any better, you're in the right place.